Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Welcome back. Um, as is our tradition, we'll go around the room and say our names. I'll go ahead and begin if I may. My name is Roy. Okay, I'm Amos. My name is Kenny. I'm Len. I'm David. I'm Kay. <coughs> Baruch. Uh, my name is Cass. I'm Lee. I'm Carl. I'm Alzac. My name is Michael. I'm Adam. <coughs> I'm Jeff. I'm George. Patrick. My name is Tom. <coughs> my name is Mark. Michael. Jeff. I'm David. <coughs> I'm Mark. Peter. My name is Tatuan. Dave. My name is Clint. I'm Bob. Al. Ty. I'm Dan. Brian. Richard. Michael. I'm Brian. My name is Oswaldo. I'm Al. I'm John. My name is Paige. Jeff. My name is Jerry. My name is Gary. Okay, that was my part. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Gary, Gary Ost, is an Episcopalian priest living in San Francisco. Upon retiring from 30 years of parish ministry, he began to explore other spiritual paths, including Vision Quest, the Sweat Lodge Path, and Buddhism. He served as the first board chair of the Earth Medicine Alliance, a nonprofit organization that works to reconcile humans with their other-than-human relations. He is also a member of the Third Order of St. Francis. Gary enjoys meditating, reading, cycling, walking, traveling, helping prepare good food, expressing himself musically, and offering <coughs> Reiki treatments. Gary's currently giving attention to how the 8th century CE way of the Bodhisattva not only gives up-to-date instructions for people to live sanely and open-heartedly in our very troubled world, but also provides essential guidance for those spiritual warriors who long to alleviate suffering, their own and that of others in the words of Pema Chodron. The aspiration to follow in this way is what he wants to talk about today. Welcome, Gary. <clears throat> Thank you for inviting me to be here today. Um, I suddenly realized that uh, this paper is much further away from my eyes than I thought I was going to be. <laughs> Pema Chodron says, Wherever we are, we can train as a warrior. Our tools are sitting meditation, tonglen, slogan practice, and cultivating the four limitless qualities of loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. <clears throat> the way of the Bodhisattva has reached out to me 
from the beginning of my relationship with the Dharma. I didn't know it was called the way of the Bodhisattva, and I certainly didn't know that there is a book by that name written by the 8th century Indian monk Shantideva. But when fellow Sangha member Michael Murphy gave me a copy of Chugyam Trungpa's book, Shambhala, The Sacred Path of the Warrior, in my first year with GBF, I recognized the similarities to the training that I had received with the Flesh and Spirit community here in San Francisco called The Peaceful Warrior. Kirk Prine described The Peaceful Warrior as one who is willing to know himself and willing to face his fears. I heard the same themes in Trungpa's call to the sacred path of the warrior. But I had a lot of other areas of Buddhism that got me interested in the meantime. I was very fortunate uh, to attend in those early days the East Bay Gay Buddhist Reading Group at which I met a few other members of GBF. I was uh, a pretty voracious reader of the books that we were reading which presented a fairly expansive array of Buddhist topics. But in time I realized that I was reading more of Pema Chodron's books than anyone else. In fact, if I were living in Nova Scotia, <laughs> I would fancy asking her to be my teacher. Instead, I think I'm reading my way through all of her books. And my experience with one of her books, Start Where You Are, tells me just how close I feel to her teaching. I noticed something this past year, and that was that whenever I felt the anxiousness of what the Tibetans called Shempa churning in my stomach, Pema says the usual translation of the word Shempa is attachment, but she prefers to call it that itch, the urge to scratch, which causes us suffering, and yet we turn to itch it, to scratch it anyway. So I noticed that when I feel Shempa turning in the pit of my stomach, I turn to reading Start Where You Are. And as often as not, as often as not something that I read brings me back to saner thinking. In fact, I notice that I'm reading Start Where You Are the way I read scripture for my other vows. As soon as I finish these scriptures, the Gospels of Jesus and Start Where You Are by Pema, I just start over. And there's always something new the next time I read the same passage. So when one of my brothers in the East Bay reading group, Leora Levine, reported to the group that a new book by Pema was a bit dense and would anybody else like to try a crack at it, I raised my hand and I borrowed his copy of No Time to Lose, A Timely Guide to the Way of the Bodhisattva. He was right. It was dense. 
It's a commentary on Shantideva's 8th century book. Now, I said I like reading scripture, but reading scripture commentaries, not so much so. <laughs> However, Pema's winsome way with words won me over, despite the fact that some of the translations of the original Sanskrit sounded pious and hyperbolic, her paraphrases made Shantideva's words seem somehow lighter and sometimes even humorous. And then she issued a challenge that had my name on it. First, she described the Bodhisattva vow in these lofty terms. She said, the Bodhisattva vow is extremely vast because it's a vow that is vaster than anybody really feels is possible. So it's not just to help the people that are close to you, or say, the homeless people, or any particular group of people. It is to help everyone. But it's really about trying to help all beings, all sentient beings, and not just for the duration of your lifetime, or not just from Monday through Friday, or something like this, but it's really as long as space endures, and as long as there are any beings to be found, may I continue likewise throughout all my lives to become more and more capable of driving away the sorrows of the world. So at some point, she continues, one feels inspired to make such a vow, Although, Shantideva himself says, I must have been out of my mind to take this vow. <clears throat> because I'm one of them. I'm one of the ones that needs to be saved. But the little twist for Shantideva was, instead of them saying, therefore I'm inadequate, I'm hopeless, turning it into some kind of negative twist, instead, Shantideva says, I must have been mad to do this, therefore I better get busy and really use the precious human birth I have the remaining days to come closer to this wish. In other words, no time to lose. And then came the challenge. Pema said, I suggest trying to say the vow three times before you wake up each morning. <laughs> she added that you don't have to take the vows formally you can just try them out informally so one morning I did just as all the Buddhas of the past embraced the open attitude of mind and in the precepts of the Bodhisattvas step by step abode and trained just so and for the sake of all beings, I will have this attitude of mind. And in these precepts, step by step, I will abide and train myself. And here's what I noticed. When I accepted the invitation to try repeating this vow, subtle shifts began to happen. The first thing I noticed was my emotional reaction the very first morning I did this discipline. 
When I started with the words, just as all the Buddhas of the past, a shiver ran through my body. I realized I'm doing it. I'm aligning myself with the Bodhisattva lineage. Whether I ever take formal vows or not, I'm somehow hereby aligning myself with that lineage. And then the words, the awakened attitude of mind. These words touched me as I was reminded, this is the essence. I am in this to wake up. I have already begun to awaken and I am hereby dedicating myself to putting this in the forefront of my mind. And then I experienced a warm affection for the words in the precepts of the bodhisattvas. As I realized that I no longer had my habitual aversion to the word precept, which I have associated with laws and beliefs, I saw that the precepts just means the teachings that teachers like my teacher Pema have shared are ways to keep returning to the awakened mind. And then I started to smile as I got to the second half of the Bodhisattva vow. When I said, just so I. I felt gratitude for the privilege of aligning myself with all those Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Just so I. And when I said the words, for the sake of beings, I actually burst into tears. As I remembered, I was dedicating myself to experience over and over again, I think for the rest of my life, what I began to experience several years ago when I experimented with the practice of the four limitless mindsets, about which I'll talk in a couple of minutes. And that experience is, I'm not alone. I can feel loving kindness for all of us, all beings. I can feel compassion for all of us, all beings. I can feel empathetic joy for all of us, all beings. And I can send intentions of equanimity for all of us, all beings. I thought of a few precious experiences I have had since first beginning to follow the, dhar the Dharma four years ago. One was a day when I sat on the ground of Mother Earth and felt the sufferings and also the joys of other creatures here and could imagine countless beings throughout the larger universe. And I felt one with them. It was humbling and moving. And then when I said the words, step by step, I got happy. As I was reminded of one of the Tonglen mantras I have invented for myself to deal with my overactive critical mind. When I am in the throes of suffering over my storyline, especially the one, oh, you're always getting tricked and showing up foolish. Following Pema's teaching on this, the practice of Tonglen, which I'll describe more later, I'll sit on my cushion and repeat with the in-breath, I feel tricked and foolish. And then with the out-breath, I'm here for you, step by step. 
meaning I don't have to be perfect. I'm learning gradually. And most important, I'm giving myself permission to learn from my mistakes. And when I concluded with the words, I will abide and train myself, I felt for a moment like the warrior I have wanted to be. Oh, by the way, the name Gary means warrior. <coughs> Something I have fought all my life. But I really have wanted to be a warrior. One who waits and watches with curiosity as the truth about his basic goodness is made clear and who takes responsibility for learning the path he has begun. Or, as the definition for the peaceful warrior goes, the one who is willing to know himself and willing to face his fears. And I, and I realized that I was happy. Basically, happy. And I've noticed a few other interesting changes in my life. I noticed that I had some changes in my dream life. I found myself showing up in my dreams not being reactive. I found myself showing up in my dreams choosing to face my fears. And then I noticed that in my waking life, I was also beginning to be a little bit less reactive. Although you'll have to check in with my sweet partner, Michael Embry, to find out whether that's actually true. I think this means that I'm learning how to live with my shempas. So here's what I think. I think each of us needs to consider whether this life may be for him too. It's more than just reciting the Bodhisattva vow. Like so much about Buddhism, there is a method a practical method based on what you can experientially verify for yourself. In fact, it doesn't have to be substantiated by anyone else, not even the Buddha. Because you'll know when it's working. It's when you realize that your suffering is diminished. Pema says... Emma says, Wherever we are, we can train as a warrior. Our tools are sitting meditation, Tonglen, slogan practice, and cultivating the four limitless qualities of loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. So I'm in training trying to learn how to use these tools. I can say I know a little bit about each of them. What I know so far about sitting meditation is that it is not just the preliminary practice to everything else, it is actually the context in which I am learning everything else. What I know so far about Tonglen is that I use this Tibetan technique when I am dealing with my emotional upsets which is quite a bit. It is part of the Lojong teachings from the 12th century Tibetan teacher Geshe Chekawa for changing one's mind states, the ones that cause suffering, 
and maintaining the awakened state. Prominent teachers who have popularized this practice include Pema, her teacher Chögyam Trungpa, and the 14th Dalai Lama, our Dalai Lama. Lojong has two parts, reciting slogans and practicing Tonglen. Tonglen is the use of practical methods for relating to the world in a more constructive way, like dealing with my emotional upsets. Tonglen may be used during meditation, but it's also a chance to relate on the spot with an open mind to the aggression, the craving, and the denial that we find in ourselves and in others, Pema says. This stuff really works for me. It's counterintuitive to the way we in the West have often been trained. We have thought, when we breathe in, that we should breathe in the positive, and then, when we breathe out, we should expel the negative. But the Zen Buddhists say, what you resist persists, and what you experience fully completes itself. And the Tibetan teachers say that attacking our shadow sides only increases in aggression in the world, while the paradoxical mystery is that when you make friends with your demons or your shadow sides and really get to know them, lean into them, breathe into them, they become less fearsome and you become less a target for them. So here's what Pema has taught me to do. When I am in the thick of my emotional upsets, I have learned while breathing in the problematic emotion, be it fear, resentment, self-pity, or anger, to invent my own mantra. <laughs> For example, alone and abandoned. And then find a powerful mantra for the outbreath, one that goes right to the heart of the issue in the emotional upset and recite it while breathing out. For example, I'm here, step by step. Alone and abandoned. I'm here, step by step. Or one that I have been using recently is on the in-breath, Afraid and uncertain, and on the out-breath, falling, no ground. Afraid and uncertain, falling, no ground. That last one, by the way, comes to me from a quotation that Pema shares from Chögyam Trungpa. This one continues to stop my mind every time I hear it. Trungpa said, The bad news is, you're falling through air with nothing to hold on to and no parachute. The good news is there's no ground. <laughs> so it actually handles my neurotic fears about uncertainty when I breathe in, afraid and uncertain. When I breathe out, falling, no ground. This is what works for me. I need to do this. And you and I in Tonglen practice can write whatever mantras work for us to minimize the hook of our shempas and bring more sanity to our thinking. You'll know when you've got the right mantra, 
when the suffering is lessened. And the Tibetans say that Tonglen practice works both on the cushion and on the spot. Or, as it seems to me, when I use on the spot a mantra that I have spent a half hour reciting on my cushion earlier in the day, or perhaps every day for the last several days, the sanity of my cushion insights become immediately present. It works for me. Slogan practice I don't know much about yet, except that I may be adverse to it. <laughs> because it reminds me of memorizing Bible verses. As I said before, it is part of the Lojong teachings for the purpose of changing one's mind states and maintaining the awakened state. There are 59 slogans, each making a pithy, wise statement. I really do already see the point of some of them. For example, the first slogan of the seven points of mind training is, first, train in the preliminaries, which are the basic meditation practice, beneficial, supportive, warm-hearted, brilliant, shamatha vipassana practice is the way Pema puts it. Another slogan is, whatever you meet unexpectedly, join with meditation. This slogan, Pema says, points out how interruptions themselves awaken us, surprises, unexpected events, bolts out of the blue can awaken us to the experience of both absolute and relative bodhicitta, to the open, spacious quality of our minds and the warmth of our hearts. What I know about the practices of cultivating the four limitless qualities of loving-kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity is that they occupy my time on my cushion probably more than anything else. These are four prayer practices, if you will, or sending out energy to all of us in the universe, if you prefer. Over time, Buddhists say the practice of repeating these mantras for the nine categories of recipients not only instills the practitioner with the four limitless qualities or mind states, but also, since we are all connected, the truth of which these practices makes real, just so these practices actually are changing the world, actually are changing the universe, actually are increasing the four qualities that we are using in our practice. For each of these practices, the, the practitioner sends the energy of the mantra to each of nine directions. Self first, spiritual teacher second, friends third, a special friend fourth, fifth, a neutral person, like the bus driver you noticed on Muni yesterday, sixth, an enemy, or better stated, the person whom the universe seems to have sent you as a teacher about the things that upset you most. <laughs> Seventh, all of the above, which helps to underscore that this practice is combating what the Buddha called the central delusion to life, that we are alone. And eighth, all humans. And finally, ninth, 
all beings. It's true, the saying of these mantras is time-consuming, but imagine the difference it makes to our states of mind if we are reciting nine times each words like these. May all of us be peaceful. May all of us be happy. May all of us be safe. May all of us waken to the light of our true nature. May all of us be free. That's the loving-kindness practice. Or this, I can feel the suffering of all of us. Or perhaps more pointedly, how about I can feel the suffering of this person. May this suffering cease. May the light of understanding and love dispel the darkness of sorrow and regret. May this suffering cease. May this suffering cease. Or then there's this. I can feel this person's joy. I find this one especially useful when, as a matter of fact, this person's joy bugs me. When it's some area where I am not succeeding and they are, if I stop and say, I can feel this person's joy. I can feel the joy in this success. May this joy increase. May the light of understanding and love bring to full blossom this joy. May this joy increase. May this joy increase. And finally, may all of us enjoy happiness in the causes of happiness. May all of us be free of suffering in the causes of suffering. May all of us never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without suffering. May all of us dwell in that great equanimity which is free of either too much attachment or too much aversion, trusting in the equality of all beings the equanimity practice. <clears throat> now, I'll be honest. At this stage in my Buddhist career, four years in, although I meditate 30 minutes, often twice a day, I'm lucky, I'm retired, I'm not sure I know anything about the real focus part of insight meditation. I'm still just a novice meditator. But in one of those books we read in the East Bay Buddhist Reading Group, or maybe it was at the seven-day LGBT silent retreat I attended in 2009 at Spirit Rock, I heard the story of an abbot who said to a new monk, you seem to need the experience of more loving kindness in your life. I recommend that you not do inside meditation for the space of one year. And instead, do only the loving-kindness practice. And in your case, I recommend you do it only for yourself. For one year. Encouraged with that example, I've gone where my heart and my emotions seem to need my attention. I probably have more experience with Tom Lin and the Four Limitless Qualities practices than I have with Shamatha Vipassana practice. And I know I have much yet to learn. And yet, I feel like a warrior in training. Perhaps a Bodhisattva warrior in training. To paraphrase an excerpt from Pema's book, Comfortable with Uncertainty, I want to wake up. 
I want to ripen my compassion. I want to ripen my ability to let go. I want to realize my connection with all beings. And I think this. Given where we are in the history of our species, there's no time to lose. No kidding. Or, of course, on the other hand, since there's no, since there's no time there in the first place, there is no time to lose. There's no time. So lighten up. As one Buddhist teacher says, what we are up to is so important that we better lighten up about it. And that's what I hear. Thank you. Do we have time for questions? Uh, yeah, we have plenty of time. It's 22. Okay, great. Yes. Well, it's, uh, I love Pema, the Star Where You Are is the book that got me started with the And I noticed that on YouTube, someone has uh, put the audiobook Awakening Compassion by Pema mm -hmm. So it's free, it's on YouTube, it's in 17 parts. But um, it's great to hear her voice. And it goes through the low jump teachings in a very healing way. I might mm -hmm. like it better after that. <laughs> so. Thank you. Sure. Yes. Oh. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for your for your sharing and for uh, sharing your story and your experience. Um, I found it you know enormously valuable, enormously enlightening. I found it to clarify some of the things that go on in my life, and I found it to clarify my own practice. Uh, I thought it was really, really valuable to kind of <clears throat> feel that parallel process to some degree, and also be given these uh, many, many words of wisdom. Uh, I'm, I'm real excited to, to go and uh, look more closely at a lot of the details that we've put forth. So, I'm really grateful for that, and I find it also very interesting, you know, your, your own history, your own background, your own path, uh, in terms of uh, being, uh, being a, um, you know, a pastor, that sort of thing, and coming to this practice. So I just want to thank you for that, and it's kind of interesting. It will be interesting to know a little bit more about that transition, the connection process. So thank you. Tong Lin. Um, so it's spelled T-O-N-G-L-E-N. And it's this practice of uh, saying um, mantras while you are breathing in and breathing out. And uh, it uh, serves the purpose both of uh, helping you to lean into and make friends with uh, your own fears, uh, but also to, to connect you with other people. Um, I find myself sometimes starting out saying things like, um, I feel afraid and alone. Um, I'm here step by step. And I'll change it in the middle of my practice and I'll say, we feel afraid and alone. All of us. And we're here, step by step. And um, then I, I realize it's not just my special suffering. 
Pema tells a story about um, our relationship with our demons. Um, I can't remember whether it's Milarepa or not, but it might have been, um, who had uh, was having difficulties with um, like all of his biggest demons, and he, he made the decision to go to his cave and uh, to uh, imagine that he was throwing a tea party for all of his demons. So uh, he said, uh, I want to invite you to my tea party. And just from the invitation, all of them left but one. <laughs> uh, this one, however, was his, uh, his worst demon. And uh, so he sat with his worst demon for a while, uh, trying to be inviting and hospitable, and he didn't leave. Um, so finally, uh, he lay down on the, on the floor of his cave with his head right in front of the mouth of the demon. He said, well, you might as well just go ahead and get this over with and swallow me up. And the demon couldn't stand it and left. <laughs> um, it's a metaphor. Um, but I discovered that it, this counterintuitive method is doing more for me than um, af positive affirmations have ever done. Um, so I commend it. Yeah, Gary, thank you very much for your wonderful talk um, and for your willingness to become a warrior on that way. Um, I don't know if it's because of my you know, heavy Calvinist dose as a kid, but the idea that I could save everybody just seems impossibly grandiose and um, spiritually inflated. Um, So that's just a, you know, sort of an inner posture of an acceptance of my vast imperfections. And, um, um, do you know what I mean? Does it seem? Did you use the word save? Did I hear the word save? Did you say that you that you'd save everybody else? Did you say that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. you did. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, or, or that my efforts. Um, so that's the, that's the stumbling block for me. I, 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 I feel connected, but I don't feel that powerful. Um, and yet, I think my intention is is, is that. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, is there a point where the shoe pinches uh, between your spiritual, uh, your Christian faith, and where? Um, this new warrior path is going? Or, or I ask the question because I don't use the word save when I talk about this. Okay. Um, although the word save uh, has been both overrated and underrated. It, it actually just means health, wholeness. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I do this not because I'm imagining I'm saving anybody, but because I'm doing something. Uh, and what I'm primarily doing is I'm opening myself up. And uh, I, I don't know what else to do in the face of um, the enormous task in front of us, in front of the human race right now, other than to be one person who changes his mindsets. And um, I guess I believe in the butterfly effect, that when a butterfly flaps its wings in Japan, it affects the weather to some degree in San Francisco. 
So, and I don't need for that to be proven. I just, I know that I'm diminishing the aggression in my life. And if I'm diminishing the aggression in my life, then maybe I'm diminishing the aggression in some of the lives that I touch. And um, when I send the energy, um, it feels to me like I'm making a difference. Thank you for being here and sharing your journey and your wisdom and experiences. Um, I'm also curious about um, St. Francis and uh, his compassion and his forgiveness and his whole focus on understanding rather than being understood in that whole prayer. <clears throat> and this practice of Tonglen too, which is in a way taking in, embracing the suffering and transforming it. Um, into consciousness or love or forgiveness or whatever. Um, and just how those two for you connect, um, the St. Francis perspective and tradition and uh, this tradition. Right. I'm really curious if you could say more about that. Well, I, I don't know how many people realize that in Francis's song, Canticle of the Sun, which he actually wrote himself, and he actually wrote in his dialect of Italian, which means he beat Dante by a few years in being the first person to write in the vernacular. <laughs> um, when he wrote that song, the last verse was, My Lord be praised for Sister Death. Uh, and uh, so he was already dealing with this counterintuitive notion that uh, when you make friends with the things that you are most afraid of, um, then you actually grow in your humanness. Uh, and your loving kindness and your compassion, your empathetic joy, and um, your desire for equanimity among all people. Um, uh, Francis was a nut. Um, he did crazy things, uh, like throw himself in the snow in the middle of winter, um, and uh, in order to control his urges, <laughs> uh, so there is that. Uh, but he, he also. <laughs> but but he was he was he was counterintuitive in many ways. Um, he would he would tell his uh, followers that. Um, they needed to be um, beggars on the streets, and they needed to not worry about um, having a lot of food for their bellies. Uh, and yet, if, uh, if one of the brothers would come uh, in with um, a very good feast um, that they happened to have been treated to while begging on the street, and if that brother looked as though he was nervous about showing anybody else in the, in the house that he had all this good food, Francis would say, let's all bring out our best food so this brother will not feel so, un so ashamed of having good foodie. Let's have a feast today. Um, so um, he was motivated more by, I think, compassion and um, loving kindness than he was by the desire to certainly suffer. I don't think he was interested in suffering. Clint? Um, you, you 
use the word aggressiveness in the talk. Um, and of course, the word aggressive is just a word we use for certain types of emotions or feelings, and it means other words too. And so I, I, I'm thinking more like fierceness. And, and I wonder whether fierceness plays a role in, in your practice on Emish Ogden's teachings. I find myself becoming braver when um, I'm stopped by a, a rebuke, stopped by um, an upset, stopped by um, something that I didn't expect to be coming. Um, I haven't quite had the experience that Pema Shudran has, but I think I've had something similar. She tells the story about being driven in a car to a, a talk one time in a city, and it was a hot day. Her window was rolled down. She came to a stoplight, and the, the car next to her also had their window rolled down, and the passenger on the left saw her, uh, on, on the passenger on the right saw her on the left, wrote, and stuck his head out the window and said to Pema Shudran, Get a job! <laughs> and she says, I am still stopped by that. <laughs> it stops, she says, it is a blessed thing when your mind is stopped. And you have to start all over again asking yourself, okay, well, who did I think I was? <laughs> what, what is my commitment? What, I mean, what is my attachment to my sense of identity? It's, my sense of identity is more like falling through air with nothing to hold on to and no parachute, and there's no ground. Um, Beginning to dance with that a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I just I was thinking of your example about the I don't know. Are we out of time? It's ten to. Oh, okay. Example about the monk who welcomed in all his demons and mm -hmm. you know and showered them with kindness. Mm -hmm. And I also think like in, in the Christian cosmology, we, we have the demons and they're invariably like satanic. But that, as I understand it, in the, in the Buddhists, you have these. Few scary images that are out there to protect the temple, mm. whereas uh, and, and they're not evil or bad. They're just a component of the practice. You go inside and you have the serenity and the love and the peace, but you have the the, the guardians too that, that, that are fierce. And I just wonder how would you like to talk. About One of the most fearsome things that I tackle with every day is right speech, because I am beginning to learn that right speech is not only not saying too much, but it's also not saying too little. Uh, and there are times when uh, the person whose justice I need to speak up for is me. <laughs> and that's really tough. One more. One more. Thank you for an inspired talk. I really like young children. And I was really inspired by uh, your emphasis on turning things around, um, you know, turning toward the demons and things, and in your story about Pema's, you know, get a job, um, reminds me I'm thinking a lot about Sylvie Borstein and her emphasis in meditating on meeting every experience with, as a friend, with kindness, mm -hmm. and that sometimes you get those kind of confrontations, you know, get a job. And you're just totally, like you said, your mind stops. You're just thrown for a loop. But then she, her, her uh, response to that is, "Oh look, I'm startled. My mind is startled. 
And just in opening to that, mm. you know, it's all right mm. to be just kindness as a friend. Mm. You know? Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Gary. Okay, announcements. Sorry? A couple of brief announcements. Uh, first one is an obvious one. That is, we're all aging. We're all growing older, whether, whatever age we're at. <laughs> and the second is that um, there's still space to uh, join the workshop uh, in Oakland next Saturday. I'll be co-leading it. And the uh, subject is lightening up around aging. Uh, we'll be um, doing that through laughter yoga, meditation, authentic movement, interplay, journaling, and a uh, wonderful way to connect with other people and uh, approach aging with uh, more humor and compassion for ourselves and others. So if you're interested, uh, I have flyers. I'd be happy to talk with you during the social time. Hi, I'm Jack. Uh, today's the day we send out our GBF newsletter. So most of you know the drill. We need about eight or ten people to help us hold stable label stand. We have like 360 paper copies to send out. About two thirds of those go to prisoners. So it's it's a great outreach. So some of you can stay. If some of you can put your hands up to tell me. You can stay for that right after the uh, tea and refreshments. Thank you. Yes, next week our speaker is John Adraka. Um, she is um, her own special Buddhist phenomenon. She's giving me a same lines. Another uh, Dharma opportunity. Uh, there's a uh, Monday evening sitting group that's been going on. This is the 11th year. Every uh, Monday at the Gay Center in room 300, LGBT, very diverse group, meets from 5.30 to 6.30, very similar format to GBF. Half hour, silent meditation, 25 minute Dharma talk, and, and some closing. So everyone is welcome. A lot of us uh, here sometimes uh, show up there too. It's a very sweet little group. Thank you. Another Dharma opportunity. Like Thursday evening conference call meditation. If you're interested, uh, see me after the break. Thank you. And our host? I am your host today. Uh, there are some cookies and dates out on the uh, table to enjoy and some pistachio nuts. Um, there is opportunities to have tea. We ask you to rinse out your cup in the sink uh, rinse it out and put it in the rack when you're done. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the credenza here. Uh, 
if you are interested in getting our newsletter. Um, there is a group that sometimes goes out to lunch. They usually meet around by the door. Um, you might consider inviting somebody because sometimes it's not clear who's, you know, it would be a, a good thing to do. Um, I'm going to come around with the Donable, and uh, this is how we support the Sangha and pay our bills. So the suggested donation is five to eight dollars. Don't make me beg. And lastly, we're, we were on the subject of warriors, and next Sunday, a group of warriors are going to represent San Francisco and New Orleans in our Super Bowl. And I'm wearing my red today, I have to say it. And if this is our first Super Bowl in 18 years, we've never lost, so go Niners. Okay. <laughs> Power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.